Hey, this is Kristen. And this is Ashley. And this is a thousand miles of true crime. I want to start today's episode thanking our listeners. We've made it to our 10th episode and we are just super excited about the future and our journey so far. So Ashley, do you have any thoughts on this being our 10th episode? What do you, what are your thoughts on our future here? We made it to the double digits. I'm, I mean, I'm so excited. Uh, I, I can't believe it's went, went this quickly, to be honest. I can't wait till we're at 100. This has been so cool. Cheers to the future and more episodes. So today we're going to be covering two cases, actually. I want to kind of uh, jump right in. I'm going to be discussing the case of Peter Bernardo Spencer and Lauren Smithfields. Both of these individuals were found dead on December the 12th of last year, 2021. These cases have been extremely astonishing because it just shows the poor and carelessness police investigation work that continues to be problematic. And it's it's sad, it's, it's upsetting that True, good police work is not being done when it involves lives of people of color. Ashley, have you heard of the case of Peter Bernardo Spencer or Lauren Smithfields? I have to admit, I can't say that I recall either of these. And are these two separate cases or did this? These are two separate cases. And it's really not surprising to me that you have not heard about either one of these cases because Um, Unfortunately, until recently, neither one of them were getting much media traction. And it's, I mean, like, like we've said before in previous episodes, these types of cases just don't get the attention that they deserve. You know, it's, you know, people of color, Black people that died under really strange circumstances and there's there's no media coverage over it or very little media coverage over it. Well, I'm so, glad you're you're gonna take the time to cover it because like you're saying, I, I don't I don't recall it. I'm sure I probably heard like one little news clip on it, but probably needs a lot more attention than that. Yeah. So even us covering, you know, just just cases that we cover, I think about the amount of time and the research that we spend looking into what happened, all the details and things of that nature. And when in researching both of these cases, there is no way that you can deny that something was really, really wrong in both cases. It's clear as day. And that is frustrating because why is the time not spent looking further into the details of what happened when these types of cases happen. So I'm going to just go ahead and jump right in. Lauren Smith Fields was a young, gorgeous 23-year-old Black woman. She was a daughter. She was a sister, a friend. Um, She was actually a high school track star. She was a beauty school student going to school to become a cosmetologist because that was what she was passionate about. And at 23 years old, this woman's life, she's gone. She is gone. So she lived in Bridgeport, Connecticut. She was a single woman. Like most 23-year-olds, 
Lauren was on the dating scene. I am so (laughs) glad that I missed that era of dating apps or like Tinder, Bumble, um, Plenty of Fish, because I have friends that, you know, are single and that have been on these dating apps and I have heard horror stories. I also realized that it may be slim pickings out there as far as like potential um, partners or like dating, um, like what's, what's available, what's out there. It's slim pickings from what, what it sounds like. Um, but to think that going on a dating app to, to like find like a love connection um, could actually end up with you losing your life. Lauren is on Bumble and I'm, I'm not even really sure what or how Bumble works. I assume it's maybe like swipe left or swipe up, wave or whatever. I think I know this and I only know this because of Kiss FM, the radio station. Um, So I think this is the one where the girl gets to like pick first, right? Did they mention that? I don't even know. I didn't even dig any further because I didn't want to get in trouble for like looking at dating. <laughs> dating swear. apps, you're just going to be like, what are you doing? Why are you looking at dating apps? Um, but I, I just know that it's a, it's a popular dating app, right? They always talk about it. I don't know if you guys know about if in this area, if you guys listen to uh, waiting by the phone, do you know what I'm talking about? No, what you have to give me more. Oh my God. I love this show so much. I talk to about it all the time with one of our mutual friends. Um, cause she loves it too. And so what they do is like somebody goes on a date and they think it went, you know, really well for whatever reason. And then like all of a sudden they're getting ghosted. So they have the radio show call and be like, you know, why are you ghosting this person? Like what happened? And then there's always some like crazy ass reason for them like ghosting the person like one person like last week I think it was somebody like they go back to the house they're like really feeling it they get to this guy's house and he has like 3,000 Pez dispensers and he has them like displayed all over the house and like yeah it was just like too much for and I remember somebody else found like a whole thing of uh, Chips Ahoy cookies in the bathroom. So it's all different things but they're crazy but a lot of times they're talking about Bumble. Oh my gosh. Now I will say that if I, if I was like met a guy on a dating app and I go to his house and there's a bunch of Pez dispensers like on display, I would be weirded out a bit, you know, and who eats chips Ahoy in their bathroom? I mean, I mean, I I don't know. I don't know. I also, I mean, I've never been on dating apps either. Like I've been with my boyfriend since like practically the eighth grade. So I have no idea how the whole situation works in general. I'm like, do you just like pass someone a note when you like them? I'm <laughs> really, I, I think we're both, um, fortunate that we missed that era. Um, the horror stories that I've heard from friends are like, a you know, a guy peed in their bed. Um, a guy was like dating like five or six different women at the same time. And like, like telling them that he wanted to like be with them forever and have kids with them. I've heard some pretty gross horror stories. So should we do that? Like people should write in, they should not write in, (laughs) please don't mail me anything, (laughs) but they should email us and let us know they're crazy stories on dating apps. I'm sure there's plenty out there. I want to hear it. I want to hear it. 
And, you know, she's just out there just seeing like what's, what's, what's out there. And she ends up linking up with a 37 year old man named Matthew LaFountain. They apparently matched three days prior to her death. Matthew, his account of what happened, okay, because that's really all that I have to stand on, um, is that Lauren invited him over basically to what it sounds like is that they were going to Netflix and chill, right? Come over. Um, I think you're cute. Wait, so she had never met him before, but they were going to meet and do Netflix. And I'm sorry, were they going to her house or to his? He was going to go to her house. Okay. So never met before. Um, you know, I, I do think that the age difference is a, a bit alarming. Like he's 37, she's 23. Um, but I, I mean, again, like I said, I've never been on these types of sites before. Maybe that's what she was looking for. Matthew is white, by the way. And so he gives his account, and this is after the fact, right? So he gives his account as to what happened after he met up with Lauren. She invites him over at around 9.30 at night on December the 11th, okay? One thing that I can say is I don't, I don't know if I could see myself inviting someone over to my home that I, one, have never met before, two, that I've met on a dating site. Like, I feel like that would be some type of introduction that I would, I would want to have away from my home, you know? In public, in a safe place. Right, but another, can I tell you another quick story that we can oh, totally yeah. delete? But I don't know if you know this, another one of our mutual friends who's very intelligent. I mean, she has like a, a master's degree in engineering and she was going to meet some guy at like 930 at night in like a forest preserve. And I was like, oh, excuse, what? Excuse me? Are you just, are you just looking to get killed? Right. <laughs> That's ins- like, whose idea was that? His, <laughs> I guess that was his idea. He thought it'd be really romantic to take a stroll at night in the woods. Practically, I was like, "You no." I'm gonna have to say I would take a pass on that, and I would probably block him because why do you want to meet in a forest preserve in the middle of the night? No, that doesn't sound romantic at all. That sounds scary. But again, we are two true crime podcast hosts, so we we are thinking of the worst. He shows up to her house. She asked, she asked him to bring some tequila, right? She's like, let's, let's Netflix and chill. Let's have some drinks and, and have a good time. He comes with the tequila and they watch a movie and they played some games and they ate some food. And strangely, Lauren became ill at some point in the night, right? To the point where she was throwing up. Okay, so she's going back and forth to the bathroom to throw up and he's still just kind of hanging around. Now, I don't know if he came with food. Uh, You know, I know he brought the tequila, but I don't know if he's the one that like came with food or whatnot. But that would be a, a red flag. Number one, it's your first date. Why am I throwing up? You know, and then at this time, too, she's still continuing to drink. So, you know, it's not like she's throwing up because she's drunk. She's throwing up because she's ill. And Matthew claims that, you know, this was kind of alarming to him, but he's like, whatever. 
So I feel like, I feel like if I was throwing up, especially if it's someone I really don't know, I'd be like, I'm sorry, you have to leave. Like I would just be embarrassed. Not even like, right. I no, I agree entirely. Um, it's, it's almost like, okay, this is not, we're not off to a good start. Maybe you should leave and we can try and reconvene at a later time or something like that. So, um, Matthew says after she's been ill, um, they're watching a movie and she falls asleep on the couch and he's still there. That's another red flag. There is no way I'm going to fall asleep with a stranger, literally a stranger in my home. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, this is all speculation at this point. I'm, I don't want to defend this guy because I'm sure he's an, I already feel like he's an asshole, but I will just say when like, yeah, just thinking, trying to put myself back when I was 23. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I would have let some stranger in my house and like falling asleep with them, but I'm just saying like, I could see like trying to like just power through the night a little more. And then if she was genuinely sick, probably not genuinely sick, but if she's sick and not feeling well, and like, I could just see passing out a little easier. You know what I mean? Not like now where you've like watched true crime documentaries for 10 years straight. You know what I mean? I think you may have had a different perspective. I think perspective has a lot to do with it. This, this man is 37 years old and he's seeing this 23 year old, you know, barf her brains out. She's, you know, falls asleep that that should have been his cue to really exit even even if she was like stay or whatever that should have been his cue to exit in my opinion in in my 39 year old mind or you so, get someone else there to help her like like can I call a friend or your mom yeah or even still if you're that ill and you're not as you're not sure as to why she's throwing up I would be like, well, do you want me to take you to the urgent care or the ER or something? Like, are you sure you're okay? Well, that's unfortunately not what he did. Instead, after she had fallen asleep on her couch, he decides to carry her to her bedroom, put her in the bed, and get in the bed with her and go to sleep. And, and she's at 23 years old. She's not, I mean, she's not two. You're, you're picking her up and she's not waking up at all. Yeah. He puts her in the bed. And even though he claims that he's checked on her like a few times throughout the night, he said he woke up at around like three. She was snoring. He went to the bathroom, went back to sleep. And then he wakes up at 630 in the morning and realizes that she's not breathing and that she has blood coming out of her nose. I, at this point, I'm like, I need more. I don't have it. Like, what did they eat? Um, who brought the food? That's not a sign of food poisoning, right? Like, yeah. Did, did Lauren ask Matthew to stay the night? You know, did they have sex? Um, who, who is this man? Like, you know, do we have some background on who he is? Does he have access to certain types of medication or prescription drugs or whatever is like, who is this man? And I, I'm just like, I need more. Like what, what else happened? Right. Well, touch on one thing you said 
You said, did did she ask him to stay the night? Like, I feel like if she asked him to stay the night, like he would be making that abundantly clear to the cops, right? Like he'd be like, well, she asked me to stay the night and she wasn't doing well. So I, I felt like I had to stay. Like uh, from what I'm understanding, he she's not saying that. So I'm not buying for a second that she asked him to stay the night. I mean, he's saying she was passed out and I carried her. She's so passed out. I carried her to her bed. Matthew calls the police that morning. And medics get there, they pronounce Lauren deceased, and Bridgeport, Connecticut police, that's where this all happened at, um, they show up, they interview or have like a consultation with Matthew, and he's visibly shaken, clearly. Like that's what they that's what the medics say, that's what the police say. He's he's shaken, but he's released. There's no um, investigation done as far as looking at the scene of the crime or the scene of where her body is found and everything. It's like, okay, you've, you've had a consultation with this man, Matthew, and he's told you his account of the story, but Lauren is deceased. So you just have his story. So I would think in, in my mind, and I'm not a police officer, you're still going to want to do an investigation. You're not just going to want to take this individual who is clearly much older and this is his first meeting with Lauren. You're you're going to want to you're going to want to ask some more questions. You're going to want to do some investigating as far as the scene of where her body is found. That that would be my thought process of how that works. Well, I, I, mean, will... I would just assume she's 23. That's like a suspicious death, no matter what. Exactly. I mean, if she has some unknown underlying condition. I mean, they should be heavily researching this. Why would I? And you said, if I remember right, she was in track. I mean, she's probably pretty healthy. Everything that you said, yes, all of the above. It's It's got to be some type of eyebrow raise of why would a 23-year-old just die? Um Sick or not, you know what I'm saying? What happened? More questions should have been asked. More investigations should have been done. Yeah, I'm just saying, even if he really was just somehow in the wrong place at the wrong time, like something happened, like no matter what. So she didn't just start bleeding from her nose and die. Yeah, well, I will get to that. So I do want to say, I hate to say this, but... The Bridgeport, Connecticut police, they have a reputation for discrimination. And I, I have to add that, you know, I'm not really surprised. But what I am baffled, surprised and bothered by is that Matthew was questioned and that he was released. Why did the Bridgeport police fail to notify Lauren's family of her death what so here's how this plays out they come to the scene they clear uh matthew he's released and instead of the bridgeport police contacting lauren's family they instead contact her landlord of where she's living notify them that you know she's deceased and the landlord puts a, a note on Lauren's door 
saying, if you are trying to get a hold of Lauren, call this number. So the police explanation as to why they did not contact Lauren's family is because the only time that they would need to do that is if they needed help identifying who the deceased person was. Is that true? Is that like a, that's not a standard process, is it? I would think not. I, I mean, that, that it's like common decency to call someone. I would even think the coroner, the hospital, I mean, her body was removed from her place of residence. So someone had to know like, yo, she's probably got a mom and a dad that are probably worried or wondering what happened to her. Um, and that is true. Lauren's family, you know, they were trying to get a hold of her and they weren't able to get a hold of her. So they were so concerned that they drove over to her house. And when they got to her house, that's when they see the note on her door that says, if you're trying to get a hold of Lauren, please call this number. Now, if it's me, <laughs> I'm going to be terrified at that point. If I go to my child's home and I see a note on the door that says something like that, I'm going to be like, what is going on? So her mother calls the phone number and the landlord proceeds to tell her that her daughter is deceased and passed away the day before. That's, I mean, that's horrible on so many levels. I mean, that poor mom, but also like, how is that the landlord's job? You know what I mean? Like that had to have been a horrible situation for him to have to tell her that too. Oh yeah. No, I agree. I, 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 the words that I used <laughs> for how her family was, I, that's the coldest, most trifling thing that someone can do is to find out that their loved one is deceased in that manner. I just, there's, there's no empathy there. There's, there's, there's no common decency even there to find out that your loved one died in that, you know, in that way, being told by her landlord versus um, the authorities or the hospital or, you know, like you just, it's like you walk into a shit storm. Yeah, I would assume, again, maybe I'm wrong, that like police officers and these people are trained on how to like properly give this horrible information to somebody. Like a landlord is not trained on how to say like your 23-year-old daughter was found dead and we don't know why. Exactly. I thought about it and I like played it out in my own head of my kids know that if I call their phone, they better answer the phone. Like I'm going to freak out or I'm going to be calling their friends. Do you know where they are? Have you talked to them? You know, like I, I would be freaking out just as equally this, this note, I, I'm not kidding. I'm, I'm literally, it says, if you're looking for Lauren, please contact this number. And, and that is, that is how everything else kind of unfolds of finding out that your daughter died. So after the landlord informs her mom of this information, she then proceeds to call the police, the Bridgeport police, because she's like, what the heck? Why wasn't I notified? What happened to my daughter? Like, you know, I need, I need details. So she calls 
the police and they tell her that Lauren was on a Bumble date at her home with Matthew LaFontaine and he woke up and she was deceased. Of course, her mother is like, well, was this guy interrogated? You know, could he have possibly done something to my daughter? And the police proceeded to tell her mother that he was a really nice guy and he is not a suspect. Wow. Was he, is he like rich or anything? Like, does he own half the city? Like, is there even any reason they would be treating him like this besides him being a white man? No. Just a nice Just a nice guy. That was literally their words. And I'm sure that that was horrifying for for her family to hear. Like, what what determines someone being... Serial killers are nice people. Right away, we know this. This Right? Yeah, these are facts. Like, we, we know this. That statement really struck a chord with their family, but even more so was the police informed her mother, Lauren's mother, her name's Chantel, that they were going to come to Lauren's apartment and talk to her, that they were going to be there in about 30 minutes. So she's there. Now they're going to take the time. They're going to now take the time to talk to her. Exactly. She's there waiting. And, you know, I'm sure she's probably calling other family members, letting them know, you know, what's what's happened, what's transpired. And she's realizing like 30 minutes has gone and come and gone. And the police are still not here. She's still waiting. And so it hits the hour mark. And she's like, "Okay, I'm getting, you know, concerned. I'm going to call the police station again and see, you know, what's their ETA. She proceeds to call the police station again and ask like, hey, you know, I've been waiting for 30 minutes. When are the police going to show up? Well, the Bridgeport police told her to stop calling and hunk up on her. No empathy, no regard for this woman's family and their time of loss. None of that. And what do you so, even do? What what's the, what's the next step when the police won't help you? Like, can you demand? I really don't know. Can you like demand a talk screen and all these things? Like, you can demand an autopsy, right? Well, this is the thing. the The family um, is trying to investigate this themselves. Like, they're trying to get they're they're paying for out of their own pocket for this to be investigated further. Because initially, after her death, it was literally ruled an accidental. Um, so aside from the Bridgeport police's lack of empathy, obviously, and just common decency, they didn't actually properly investigate the death of this young woman, right? Lauren's family requested information about, like, what happened, you know, and they tell her, They ended up doing the toxicology report and her death was ruled accidental. Okay. And the toxicology report showed that she had fentanyl, promethazine, hydros, I don't even know how to say this, 
hydroxyzine, zine, and alcohol. So it was like a cocktail of prescription drugs and alcohol that caused her demise, basically. Now, this is a 23-year-old woman that's in college that is an athlete that has no prior drug history of, of or any any you know history of being a drug user. And all of a sudden, these drugs are found in her system and they rule her death accidental. That to me would have been, well, well what do you mean? My daughter is not a fentanyl user or, you know, like, what, what, what do you mean this was accidental? This guy that was with her just, he had nothing to do with this. Like, did was anything investigated? I, I find it really confusing that this was ruled an accidental death. Like, it just seems like no investigation was done. Um, and the fact that the police were just so ignorant for not even notifying her family of her passing. I just, I just felt like it was just a careless thing that they just were like, and we're moving on to the next thing. Yeah, it'd be different if you really felt like they did everything they possibly could and they just found that this girl probably like tried some drug for the first time and it was fake and it was laced with fentanyl. But I mean, they didn't do any research. They just, they're like, oops. And we know that they didn't do anything because after Lauren was already passed and her family ended up going, you know, to her apartment and, you know, looking through her things and stuff, they found a used condom, lube, an unidentified pill, blood stains on her bed sheets. Okay, so it sounds like a lot more than just some Netflix and chill and drinking tequila was going on that night. You know what I'm saying? And so... Did they test her for any of that? Like, there is no... This is still an ongoing investigation, so I don't have that information. What I do know, though, is that the police didn't collect that evidence. The family did after the fact, like weeks later. So that is what is troubling. It's like, how can you go to the scene of a, a death? Someone's dead. And, you know, her bed, her body is either in the bed or on the floor. It's in the room. So you did not see or recognize that there was blood on the sheets or even the fact that he's in the bed with her and he wakes up and is beside her and she's, you know, not breathing. You wouldn't want to check to see, well, did you guys have intercourse? This was your first encounter. Like, it just it just was not investigated. They didn't collect evidence. They didn't do a thorough investigation. They just this was just like whatever. Uh, a black lady's dead. We're gonna. So I was gonna, gonna say on. that's probably. I'm sure they went in there and they thought, young black girl, this must be an OD. And it sounds like they're treating it like this poor nice white guy was just in the wrong place at the wrong time with this delinquent girl. And, and something is wrong with that, you know, it, it, investigate crimes as you would any other, you know, collect evidence as you would any other crime scene, um, notify family members when loved ones have passed away as you would any other. Why would this be any different? That is basically 
what I find to be extremely infuriating, I will add two of the Bridgeport police officers involved in this case have been suspended for their actions and their the way that they handled this case and not reporting the deaths to the families. Uh, because on this day, December the 12th of 2021, there was also another Black woman named Brenda Rawls that was also died under kind of similar circumstances. She didn't, she wasn't drugged or there wasn't any, you know, uh, substances found in her system. She actually appeared to have died of natural causes of cardiovascular disease and diabetes, but she was also on a date and her date found her, you know, that morning. Wait, the, the same day? The same day in the same neighborhood. In both of these cases, the Bridgeport police officers, these two officers that were involved in both cases, did not report the, the deaths of these two women to their families. That's horrible. That's so I I have so many questions. <laughs> I know. I said the same thing. This, I mean, I, I I can try and answer your questions, but I mean, when I tell you it's limited as far as information, it's it's limited. What what questions do you have? What sticks out or like what are you like baffled by? Because I mean, there's so much to be baffled by. So many things. I guess my first question is, okay, they're just suspended. What does it take to fire a cop? I guess if we're looking at that angle, um, and I just want to know what, like, the standard practices has. Uh, I mean, I hate to say it this way. Has any white mother had to uh, call a landlord to see what happened to her daughter? Um, that's obviously just horrible. Did they, I mean, you mentioned you don't know about the food situation. Like, I mean, is this a weird situation where they both got food from the same place? Or I don't know who's, like, lacing Chinese food with fentanyl or something like that. But I... <laughs> I said the same um, well, wait, thing. Did, she didn't, I'm sorry, because the other girl didn't even have right. anything in her system. This yeah. The, party. Yeah. From, from what it looks like, Brenda Rawls, um, she died of natural causes. Like she had pre-existing, uh, I guess, ailments that could have caused her death. But the, 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 what's frowned upon is that, okay, why wasn't her family notified, you know, like they just carried on with it, with their day. These officers just carried on with their day and just said to hell with notifying the, this woman's family. And so it's, it's improper handling of a case. I will say this. I don't know who actually holds the true responsibility of notifying family after something tragic like this happens. Like, I don't know if it should be the hospital the police, the coroner, I mean, any damn body, but I know, I mean, when you think about watching movies and things like that, and you see police go up and they pull up to the house, they get out and they're all sad and they walk up to the door and the family opens the door and they say, you know, your loved one has passed away. It's, it's like that. Like, I mean, I would assume that it's something like that, but I really can't speak to who owns the true responsibility of notifying family members, but, or be able to speculate that it 
has some bearing on the Bridgeport police because why else would these two officers have been suspended? Right. Yeah. yeah. How old was Brenda? Brenda was actually 53 years old. Still young to die from natural causes, but. Yeah, but the, I mean, there were there weren't any substances found in, in her system. Um, you know, there didn't seem to be any foul play at all in that case. The only foul play in that, you know, was that the police didn't properly handle the situation by notifying her family. Like they found out a day and a half later, same as Lauren. So it's like these two women died in the same neighborhood. They're both black and both of their cases seem like they were just like shrugged off. Like it was of no importance that their lives held no value. And I think that is what has been a reflection, a negative, very negative reflection on the Bridgeport police officers. For Lauren's case altogether, you know, you know, her her case was originally being ruled as an accidental death because of what was found in her system. But because of the media outcry of like celebrities on socials, you know, trying to say like, no, this something more needs to be done. More investigation needs to be done. More questions need to be asked because now we know there may have been some type of intercourse involved there. Um, obviously was some drugs involved. Where did she get them from? Like, are they trying to, to hunt that down? Um, so it's, it's now being looked at as a criminal investigation as it should. Well, and the, he already said she was passed out to the point that he carried her into the bed. So if any sort of intercourse happened, like he's already the one who admitted that she was passed out and that she was getting sick and probably not at a point where she could consent. Very good point. Very good point. I hate to end it like that in, in regards to the case of Lauren Smith Fields, um, because I know that that was a lot to take in. Um, I'm still going to be like following up on this case to see how it plays out. What happens? What other evidence uh, do they come? Do they do they come into encounter with? So this is this is unfinished and I, I hate unfinished things, but I'm sorry, it's going to have to be unfinished. I do want to add another individual died on this same day. And his name is Peter Bernardo Spencer. Peter was a Jamaican immigrant living in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And, you know, he had been living in Pennsylvania since he was a teen. He was said to be like a, a dreamer, a lover of nature. Um, his fiance, Camilla King, she was actually pregnant with their first child. And so he was about to enter into fatherhood. He also had a passion to like cook for people and he had hopes to open a restaurant with his mom serving Jamaican food to, you know, to people. He, he loved, he loved that. But unfortunately, Peter Spencer's dreams were cut short. Peter was actually invited to go on a camping trip by one of his co-workers from a previous job named Nathan Meyer. And Nathan 
invited three other people on this trip. Peter was the only Black person. Where they're at in Pennsylvania is like a very rural area. So Peter is, you know, in Pittsburgh, you know, it's it's not as rural. Their camping site is 85 miles away. Okay, so like in the middle of nowhere. And, and this area, these rural areas of Pennsylvania are known for being sundown towns. They're known for um, having a large population of racist people. Like it's, it's known, like it's, it's a targeted area. But for whatever reason, Peter, he felt comfortable joining this trip with his coworker, Nathan. He's like, you know, I am a lover of nature. I love being outdoors. I love being one with the outdoors. So, you know, he seemed like he had no problems or no um, reservations about joining this trip. And then too, Nathan, I mean, he had met Peter's family. He had met his mother. He had met his fiance. He had been to his home. Peter had fed Nathan. So I think the, the, his comfort level was like, yeah, this is my friend. Like he, you know, like we're going on a camping trip. And I don't even think it was like intended to be a full camping trip. It was like, let's go out to the woods. My family's got some property out there. Because it, it wasn't intended to be like an overnight type deal. It was like, hey, I'm going to come out, hang out with you out here in the woods, and then I'm going to go home. Peter didn't seem alarmed at all, okay? I forgot to add that Peter is 29 years old at this time, okay? So at 29, you know, you're, you're comfortable in making decisions on going trips with people or whatever, you know, like you feel like you know your circle, you know the people that you're around and you're not going to put yourself in an uncomfortable or even unsafe situation, at least that I would think in, in thinking back to my 29-year-old mind. So on December 11th, 2021, Peter's fiance Camilla drives him out to where they were going to be camping or hanging out at. Like I said, this is about 85 miles or so from Pittsburgh. It's near the Allegheny River in Vernango County. So although Peter doesn't seem to be alarmed at all about going on this camping day trip with four other white people, Camilla, his fiance, was. Like, she's like a bit suspicious and she's like, you know, are you sure you want to go out here with these people and like in the woods and you guys are going to be kind of like hunting, camping, whatever it is that you guys are going to be doing out here. But he's, you know, he's reassured her, I guess that, yeah, I'm going to go like, like it's no, it's no big deal. So she actually drives him out there, out there by the Allegheny river and drops him off. And she makes it a point that, you know, she wants to remain in communication with him. So she's going to be texting him. And so shortly after she drops him off, it's like around 2 p.m. He texted her saying, hey, you know, I'm just going to stay the night. You can come back and get me in the morning. I love you. He texted her. He didn't call her. He texted her. He texted her that. 
Okay. Was she supposed to pick him up? Yes. She was supposed to pick him up later that night. That okay. was, that was, that was the plan. Like, Hey, okay. I'm just going to hang out for whatever. I don't know how many hours. And then you're going to come back and get me. Well, and I assume, you know, she's pregnant. It's 80, 80 plus miles. Maybe he's thinking, you know, you don't have to come all the way back out here tonight and get me. You can just come get me tomorrow. And she's probably thinking nothing of it. But it's really hard to really identify now if he's the one that actually sent that text message. So she gets a text message. She's like, okay, are you sure? And, you know, he's like, yeah, um, I'll see you tomorrow. I love you, whatever. And so as the night goes on, she's texting him still, like, you know, just checking in with him to see how he's doing. And she's noticing his texts are getting fewer and fewer and he's not responding now. So she's now like, well, what's going on? Like, why aren't you texting me back? Um, Even so much so that like she reached out to Nathan on social media, like, hey, I'm trying to like text with Peter and he's not responding. Like what's going on? And no response. It's at this point, if it's me, and this is no offense towards Camilla, I'm driving my pregnant ass back to where they are to make sure that the father of my child is is safe and okay. Um, but I think too, maybe she's thinking, you know, he's a grown man. He's he's fine. He chose to go out here, you know. Um, but the moment that I was get, that I would be getting no response, I would be starting to get a bit concerned. So it's sometime between 1 a.m. and 2.30 in the morning of December the 12th that Peter is shot. He's shot nine times, twice in his butt, six times in his back, and once in his mouth. So as of having nine bullets in your body, in your body right, he sprawled out on the front yard it's it's winter time it's snow on the ground sprawled out on the front of the property where his fiance actually dropped him off the day before a few hours like less than 24 hours before the police were called okay by one of the four people that the other four people that were with uh them on this camping trip and they get there and they they see that you know he's been shot they find multiple weapons at this property. They find drugs. Some, I don't, they didn't specify what controlled substances, but they found drugs. And so they brought these four other people that were present in for questioning. Peter's family is notified that, you know, he's deceased. Here's, here's the twist with this. And this again is what I don't understand. After these four other individuals were questioned, it's found that Nathan, Peter's coworker, admitted to being the one who shot and killed Peter. So it was his friend, the guy who got him out there. Exactly. However, he claimed that Peter was the aggressor. And he said that that is why he shot Peter. In the back? That it was self-defense. 
In the butt and the back? And in the mouth. And would you believe this? This is really, this, he is walking free right now. He is not in custody. He is not in custody. Wait, and it was, so it was nine bullets. I'm not an expert, but was that two different guns or did he reload? That's a great question, Ashley. (laughs) That I didn't even think about. So maybe I'm wrong. I don't know of too many guns that will come like standard that would hold nine bullets. I could be totally wrong though. Well, what the public is saying is that basically this is, this is a modern day lynching, you know, like there, there has to be some explanation as to how one black man and four white people are walking free and this man is dead. He didn't come to the scene with a weapon. You know, he didn't come with a weapon, you know, so how, how, what, what was he doing? How, how was he the aggressor? How were four white people that terrified that one black man ended up deceased with nine bullets in his back, aside from the bullet in his mouth? Yeah. Did they explain at all how this, I mean, you'd, I feel like you'd have to come up with a pretty damn good story to be walking out, walking well, away. More, more than likely, and this is, again, speculation, the other three, three people more than likely corroborated Nathan's claim of self-defense um, because all of them were released. The, the home, the property where this all happened is Nathan's family's property. And there's actually video surveillance or a camera on the on the property like on the front of the house did they catch anything none of that information is being released none of that information is being shared with the family so and you know damn well just historically looking at media and the way they release this that if he truly was the aggressor you'd be seeing it constantly like it would be plastered all over the news Absolutely. And, and I want to ask you this, too. If this situation were reversed, if Peter was white and these other four individuals were black, would this have been how this was hand- handled? Oh, they Those four black it. people would be in jail. In yeah. jail. Yeah. They would have shut that entire county down until they found him. Yeah. It's it's un believable how unfair and unjust things are from policing to judicial system it is it is it's it's not right and I don't have the answers I don't have the solutions on how to fix it or how to make it better but you have to see that it is not equal it is not fair it is not you know um a black man who shot nine times clearly in the back with the exception to the, the gunshot to his mouth. How could he have been the aggressor? Because nine shots, I, I see, I see that as overkill. I see that as murder. And it's frustrating because I don't know if anybody other than those remaining four people will ever know what really happened. Like, will we ever know what really happened? Will that footage ever be released? Will, you know, 
what was was that footage footage even uh recovered um i mean i want to understand some of like the ballistics here like can they tell where the first shot was oh yeah they did the ballistics too there okay and so so they they do know that the weapons that were on site were the ones that indeed but do they know can they tell like was he shot in the back first or was he shot in the mouth first so that's the thing remember how i said they're in this rural area of pennsylvania the statements that have been made is that there has been tampering done so that you can't identify whether it was an entrance wound or an exit wound. So well, you I, can't identify no if, way. if he was shot in the back or shot in the chest. Crazy, right? The depths that people will go to to make things or curb things to go in the direction that they want them to go in. It's, I, I can't even say that it's shocking because we, we've seen it. I mean, you know, you, you, we do this. We listen to podcasts and we read news articles and, and, and we see it and we know that it happens. So there, uh, Peter's family, you know, they have hired their own uh, forensics investigator. And from looking at the autopsy photos, even that individual has said, this man was hunted. Um, now I will say this, there is an investigation that is still underway. They said that, you know, it could take however many weeks it's been 11 over 11 weeks since this happened and no one is in custody, even though Nathan admitted to shooting and killing Peter in self-defense. So I think about any other Think about the petty crimes. Think about nonviolent crimes. And they'll just throw your ass in jail. They're like, well, we're, we're going to wait till court. We're going to wait till there's an arraignment or whatever. Yet a man is dead. And another man that admitted to, to murdering him or shooting him, claiming self-defense, is not in custody. I will say typically with like a petty crime, it's a lot easier to prove it very quickly and you can just like move quickly. So I'm hoping that they're just really doing a full investigation. And that takes a lot longer than we're used to seeing on like law and order SVU. You know what I mean? But especially after hearing now this third story, I'm not very confident that that's what's going on. I mean, that's just hoping I also, the other thing I have to think about is like all these tests aren't cheap, you know? So like when you expect the family to be investing money into this, you know what I mean? Like it's not cheap to get your own ballistics expert and all of these things. And, and you're never going to be able to do as much as the legal system could. So, um, you know, it's just, it's like heartbreaking to hear that they're even having to do that. And just knowing that no matter what, they're going to be more limited than, than the cops that should be doing their jobs. Absolutely. Without a doubt. I just, I don't understand why it's so different when a black man has been murdered in such a way. And, and so it, it just brings me back to like, 
how they'll just throw. I, I see your point. I see your point of what you just said, but it just, I don't get it. I don't get it. And then factoring in the controlled substances that they found on this property, the, the multiple weapons that they found on this property. I just, I don't, I don't, I get, I don't get it. I see this as plain as day as this was murder. And it just doesn't get any clearer than that for me. And the part that, that hurts the most about both of these cases is the lack of blatant disregard law enforcement has they've proven that they just don't care about these people's these people of color's lives they just it is of no importance to them yeah i feel like if they had any sort of evidence that he was truly attacking them you know what i mean if there was any evidence they would be releasing that so I have to assume that there's really none or it's like one guy with a paper cut trying to say, see what he did. Like we had to shoot him nine times. Well, then, then to, I mean, just from news outlets going to the, the property where this happened and you can see on the door of the home, it says, look up, you're on camera. And there's a camera above. There's also a sign that says, we don't call the police with a hand holding a gun. That's on their front door. That's on their front door. And I get like, you know, you feel how you feel about, you know, the right to carry and all that. I like, I, I get that, but. I'm like, you're in Texas, Kristen. Don't you? you can't oh yeah. No, I right mean, to carry. yeah, no, I'm don't get me wrong. Like, I, I mean, I, I'm like, so. Man, I don't know. This, this, what these two got to me, Ashley. They got to me bad. Um, yeah. To be honest, uh, I do kind of remember the Lauren Fields case. Um, I, I, you definitely opened my eyes. There was a lot more information I didn't know. I, that was one of those ones that you like heard about too in the beginning. And then you just like assumed that the, in the end, they realized like, oh, we messed up. We got to go back and arrest that really nice guy. Um, but yeah, no, I don't even remember hearing about this Peter Bernardo case. Like not yeah. even, I don't remember even hearing about it, which is like, again, just another level of tragedy that they're not covering this. They aren't. I mean, the only reason I think, and I can't say the only reason, but Lauren Smithfield's case really got kind of brought to the forefront that they needed to reopen the you know investigation is because, believe it or not, Cardi B went on Instagram and was like, what the hell? Like, are y'all for real right now? You know how Cardi is, was like, for real? Y'all are not going to investigate this woman's death after a bumble date and all these drugs found in her system, a perfectly healthy 23-year-old? So, I mean, media outcry, media frenzy, protests. I want people to know what's going on because I don't think it's it's out there like it should be. I think um, I, I definitely agree. It's not out there like it should be. I also think that sometimes there's this like perception of like that's a almost like that's a, a problem in the South. Like, you know what I mean? So I like that. Not that I like that you covered these cases, but like Bridgeport, Connecticut is not typically what I think is so almost that like stereo stereotypical sundown state. 
sort of situation. You know, you don't think of Pennsylvania, you think of Kentucky. Uh, but clearly this is a problem everywhere. With both of these in, uh, cases still being under investigation, you know, this much later, 11 weeks later, I I will continue to monitor and, and I hope to have an update on the outcome of both of these cases in the near future. But that really concludes it. Like, I, I hate not having closure and I hate not really knowing the finalization of what happened. But I just wanted to really bring attention to both of these cases. And I, I promise I will keep you guys updated on whatever else happens or transpires in both cases. That brings it to a close for me. Um, Ashley, no, what did you think? No. I'm like, don't end. I, I still have so many <laughs> more questions. And I think it's crazy that Cardi B is the real hero in today's stories. But I think, like, thank God for the Cardi B's out there trying to get this, these, um, you know, these cases reopened and covered in the media. Because, like, we've just talked about for over an hour now that these these aren't being covered and they're not being investigated and they're not being treated properly and these families are not being treated properly and i just hope we start to see some change i do too i do too it's it's crazy that um a music mogul has to use their platform to bring attention to something like this when i mean it's like it it makes so much sense just do your job just do your job. That, that That's the sad part. They're not even asking them to go above and beyond. It's like, nope. just do your job. Just do your job. Happy 10th episode, Ashley. We did it. We did it. Thank you so much for covering, covering these cases, Kristen. Yeah. And, and thank you to our listeners um, so much for continuing to support us. Please continue to rate us on all listening platforms. We appreciate the support. And, you know, keep listening. We got more for you.